good to see everybody this morning. Good to be back. Always enjoy being here. Uh, to follow up on what Brother Reggie said about the conference at, at Rypatch uh, this coming weekend, uh, we'll have services at 7 o'clock on Friday night, uh, have a snack afterwards, and then uh, starts at 10 o'clock Saturday morning. And we'll have dinner and have a, a afternoon service, and then then obviously on Sunday we have service as well. Love to have each and every one of you there. Come hear some good preaching. All right, if you would turn with me to Second Samuel chapter eleven. Second Samuel chapter eleven. And this is a an account, biblical account that probably everybody here is familiar with, and but I think it's one that would do us good to review on occasion. Second Samuel chapter eleven, and we'll we'll read the entire chapter, but we'll start off with the first four verses. Second chapter, Second Samuel chapter eleven and verse one. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and said, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Now, it was the end of the Hebrew calendar year. Which was actually the month of February. It was Adair, which it was their, their February. And spring was, was coming up. It was coming near. And this was the time when nations went to war. And a little background behind this, what the writer's speaking of, hostilities would usually end in wintertime. And the reason being is because there would be so much rain, the roads would be impassable. Uh, the rivers would be swollen where you couldn't cross. There wouldn't be any grass to graze the, the animals, your horses and such with. So they would just take a break. And then they'd resume in, in late winter and early spring. Well, Israel had gone back to, to battle with the Ammonites. They had been at war with them uh, before in the previous year. And now they returned. The weather was warming. The weather was changing. And they went back to war. And Joab, the general of the, the Israelite armies and, and the armies of Israel, was laying siege to Ammon, actually to a siege of the city named of Rabbah that was of Ammon. And it was normal in the day for the kings to go with their armies into battle. They didn't sit at home, uh, operate from afar. They actually went to the battlefield. But David, who was normally a warrior king, had decided to set this one out. And he was just staying, stayed at home in Jerusalem, lazing about. Now, 
it appears that David had been taking an afternoon nap. And he gets up from the afternoon nap and he takes a stroll on the roof of the palace, which was not unusual. This was a common practice in that part of the world in the day. And he was up walking around on the roof. He's on this from this elevated position. He can see a long way. He can see a lot of things. And he looks over the nearby home and he sees a woman taking a bath. And that's not just a woman. It's a beautiful woman. So he inquires, who is that woman? And he's told, this is, this is Bathsheba. And she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was one of David's best soldiers. Actually, he's even mentioned in 2 Samuel 23, verse 39, as one of the legendary mighty men of David. He was the elite of the elite, one of David's most faithful soldiers. Now, David is heading in the direction he should be going in. And this is David's total responsibility. We don't want to let David off the hook for one minute. David was not only a godly man, but David was the king of Israel, God's covenant people. He had a responsibility to hold himself to a higher standard than the normal Israelite. David was totally responsible for his actions. But he was not alone in in the blame and the guilt for this. Bathsheba was not caught by accident in a state of undress. I see no reason why this woman would have been out in the open taking a bath, especially when I'm sure she knew the habit of the king in the evening to walk on the roof. She knew he was going to see her. This was a young, beautiful woman. She was home alone. I think she was trolling for a king. And she found him. Bathsheba reminds me a lot of some of the women that we still see today. They do the same thing. They they put themselves out on display. They dress scantily. And, and not only did they, they barely cover themselves, but then they turn around and take and put tattoos or, or jewelry or or, or piercings or such in strategic places that will draw even more attention to them than what their barely their clothes does. And they act all innocent about it. Like, you know, it's not my problem if men look at me. And they'll even feign outrage when they catch a man staring at them. But it's probably got more to do with the man staring at them than anything else. If he's ugly, they don't want that. That's not what they was after to begin with. Or maybe he doesn't have a lot of money. You know, if he's got enough money, then this can overcome a lot of physical shortcomings. But other than that, they get like they get mad. Where well, you put yourself out on display? What did you expect? Bathsheba knew exactly what she was doing. Just don't excuse David, but it took two to tango, and she put herself out there, and she was inviting the attention of the most powerful. Richest man possibly on the face of the earth at the time. And she caught his attention and she kept it. So David, he sees her. He finds out who she is. He sends word for her to come to the palace. And once she came, the inevitable happened. They committed adultery. 
she returned home afterwards with no one the wiser. Now, they had pulled off the perfect little crime, hadn't they? Nobody knew. They had their night of fun and nobody knew. But you know something? Our sin will always find us out. Job said in Job 24 and verse 15, The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. You know, we might escape exposure from the world. Yeah, nobody saw this as far as we know. But you know what? God sees all things. And we all know that. We might think that we've pulled off the perfect sin undetected, but the only one that really counts saw everything. Once again, they probably, David and Bathsheba, considered this encounter as harmless. But you know they didn't really, what they didn't realize? There was victims. And two of their victims were themselves. The proverb says, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Their actions, it caused a rift between themselves and God. The last one that we should want to offend is the first one offended. You can imagine the guilt that they felt. They were probably suffering from a, from a guilty conscience, experiencing anxiety, uh, loss of appetite, sleeplessness, and other symptoms of guilt. They had sinned against their spouses. And since David was king, he had sinned against the entire nation of Israel. He was responsible to them as we said earlier, to hold to a certain standard of righteousness. And he had let the entire nation down. There's no such thing as a victimless sin. As we said, our Lord is always offended. And we're always offended too. We're affected. And you know, David should have known better. This was not some youthful indiscretion here that David got into as a young man. If, If... If I'm understanding this correctly, David was around 50 years old when this happened. This wasn't some kid. He should have known better. He had foolishly, despite his age, allowed himself to be drawn in. Now, I'm sure that David didn't wake up that morning to say, You know what? I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to commit adultery with one of my best soldiers' wives. No. He was... Overtaken in his lust. This is how quick that sin can draw us in. He saw this woman taking a bath from his roof. And instead of looking away, he did what most men do. This is is in our fallen nature. He stared. When he... Got through with this, what he should have done was tried to go and to put this out of his mind. But instead, he started to inquire, hey, who is that? And then, instead of putting it out of his mind 
once and for all, he invited her to his home. Probably he didn't really intend to get to go this far. Well, I'll just have her here and I'll get a better look at her. I'll flirt with her a little bit, you know, smile and giggle a little bit. It's just going to go that far. That's all. I don't intend to go any further. And it wasn't like she was putting up a fight. She didn't have to go when she was summoned. I know he was the king, but what would he have said if she just said, I'm another man's wife, I don't need to be here. What we know, most likely, this was her goal after all. Just put yourself in that situation. Men, you can certainly understand. He got this woman to come here. And when he saw her up close, he realized, man, she's more beautiful than I thought. She's even better looking up close. And she's probably got her perfume on, and this is intoxicating him. And they start to flirt, and they start to giggle. And he playfully puts his hand on her hand, or on her shoulder. And she doesn't withdraw. And at that point in time, David had gone past the point of no return. Sin cannot be embraced or it will consume us. And this doesn't just apply to sins of a sexual nature. I know this is our subject this morning. This could apply to any sin. Sin cannot be taken out of its box and played with for a little while. You know, I, you, I remember, I don't know if I, how I say this, we got little ones in here. Sometimes when presents come, that, that come from mom and daddy. You know, they're, they're under the tree already, so at Christmas time, you find, not under the tree, maybe hid away, and you find them and you take them out of the box and you play with them, and then you put them back in the box. Sin can't be handled that way. Once it's taken out, the wrapper's taken off, there's no going back. The psalmist said, Psalm 6 and verse 27, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? That's pretty simple. We can all understand this. Sin's not satisfied with with our, our attention on a temporary basis. Sin wants to set up residence. Sin wants to be our full-time companion. Sin is the guest that comes to your house and don't know when to leave. Sin... Uh, once again, of any kind, we, we won't limit this to sexual sin. Sin of any kind is too addictive to be toyed with. I had a friend back when I was young, and he got off with the wrong crowd one night. And he did cocaine. And he told me about it afterwards. And he says, I'll never do that again because it scared me. 
And I'm expecting him to tell me that he, he got all paranoid or his heart went to racing and he thought he was going to die or, or something of this nature. But this wasn't what he said. He said, I'll never do it again because this is the best experience I've ever had in my life. He said, you can't imagine the rush that you you get, the, that you could do anything and you could go right on. You feel no fatigue, nothing. He says, I know if I ever do it again, I'll be a drug addict. I'll be a cokehead. This is exactly how sin operates. It's not that we, we become afraid because it's so ugly. It's because it's so attractive. You know, we can say what we want to. We like sin. Our flesh does. You know, we could say this would, David, if it happened to us, oh, well, I would have just turned my head and walked the other way and wouldn't have given it another thought. <laughs> yeah, you tell yourself that. Once again, any sin, this, this, this sin of covetousness, though, I would have never, never would I have committed that. In our flesh, we love sin. This is why we have to have a Savior. This is why we can't save ourselves. David should have followed the example of Joseph. You remember Joseph in, in Potiphar's house when his wife approached him. What did that Joseph do? Joseph tore out so fast she's hanging on to his clothes, which obviously she had been doing beforehand, and he ran away so hard that he came out of his clothes. You know how old Joseph was when he did this? Seventeen years old. This man loved his Lord. He didn't hang around to see where this was going to go or how hard she was going to push and how much he was going to resist. He didn't give it a chance. And here David is at 50, middle-aged man, that sits there and engages in this when he should have done what Joseph did. Instead of fleeing the scene like Joseph, he created a fertile environment for sin to grow. He lingered too long. Let's pick back up in our text here and read, pick up in verse 5 and read through verse 13. It says in verse 5, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I'm with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. And there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when he had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto the house, David said unto Uriah, Camest not thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thy thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab, and the service of my Lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go into the mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest? And as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and tomorrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him. 
And he made him drunk, and and at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, and went not down to his house. The encounters take taken place, and Bathsheba sends word to David. We got a baby on the way. And now her husband's off at war, so this was going to be kind of hard to explain when he got home why they had a new baby. They was in a sticky situation. Their sin had found them out. Their little secret was out. It's kind of hard to hide a baby. It was going public. You know, no matter how well we plan, no matter how prepared we are, the Lord will not be mocked. We hadn't pulled a fast one on Him. You think back to other examples in the Bible. Judah, the patriarch Judah. You remember in Genesis where he thought his encounter with this prostitute would go unnoticed. And when he was supposed to pay her and he sent one of his servants, you know, kind of do this discreet. I don't want this to get out. And he thought he'd pull it off. I mean, the woman went there. There's no, there's no prostitute that works that corner. Well, well, you tried to pay her. You know, I'm not. I pay my bills <laughs> to this prostitute. I may have tried to make sure she was paid. And he put it out of his mind. Oh well, so far so good. Nothing, nothing harm. Nobody knows about it until she shows up pregnant sometime later, and it turns out that it's his widowed daughter-in-law. And he's ready to burn her. And she comes up with some articles of his that he gave her <laughs> as proof for the payment. And he finds out that he's the father. His sin found him out. What about Achan? Achan back during the, uh, the conquest of the promised land. Back in Joshua 7, remember when Jericho fell and they, they were told that they couldn't get anything, take any spoil from, from Jericho? But yeah, he found these riches and he thought, I can take these and I can hide them and nobody's gonna know. Pulled off a pretty good crime there, didn't he? Until Israel fell to Ai. Ai! A tiny little nation that had no chance of beating Israel. So they started to inquire of the Lord. And what happens, long story short, the blame lands where it should have on Achan. And because of that, he and his family were all put to death. Because of his sin, his sin found him out. What about Judas Iscariot? You know, Judas, I'm sure, probably didn't think that he had got away with nobody knowing what he did. But I suppose he thought in his greed that when he sold the Lord out for this few pieces of silver, that I can take the money, who cares? I mean, they're going to take and, and do away with him, and I'll go about my business and forget about this. But you know what he forgot? The Lord wouldn't allow him to. His conscience nagged him to the point that he took his own life. His sin found him out. He couldn't live with it. You know, it might take years to come to fruition. But eventually, our sin will come home to roost. Back to our text. 
David, when he finds out when Bathsheba tells him that she's with child and the child is his, he sends a message to the front, to Joab as general. He tells him, he says, send your eye home. He's putting a plan in to cover his tracks. Uriah comes home and he gives a report from the front to David. And David sends him home. And our text tells us not only did did he send him home, but he sent him home with food from the king's table. He was sending home a feast. He was prepared a romantic interlude with this man soldier had been in the field for months. He comes home to his wife. They've got a nice supper prepared. Naturally, they're going to be glad to see one another. David thinks he's got his tracks covered now. But what he don't understand is this man is such a good man and a faithful man. He spends the night at the palace. When David discovers that he didn't go home to be with his wife, he asks him, what's, what's the matter with you, boy? And he says, King, you know, my brothers in arms are laying in the field tonight, out in the cold. The ark, probably residing in the tent near the battlefield, as they carried it with them for a blessing. There's no way I could go home and sleep in my bed knowing this. Don't you know David's going, bad enough what I've done, but I've done it to this man. But then he goes to plan B when this doesn't work. The next night, he gets your eye drunk. And he thinks, surely I get him drunk, he'll stagger home and he'll ravish his wife. And then I'll be in the clear. Even drunk, this fine man, this this faithful servant of David's, sleeps at the palace. David's running out of options here. What should David have done here? You can't go back and unscramble eggs of what's already happened. If we're caught in a similar situation, hopefully not one this extreme, but as we said, we're talking about sin in general here. Look to David to see what not to do. He was trying to cover things up, but instead of trying to camouflage your sin, David should have come clean. This was the time for it. The Apostle John said in 1 John, verse 9, I mean, chapter 9 and verse, excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only should David and Bathsheba both have went to the Lord in prayer, confessed to God, but they should have confessed to their spouses. This was time to get things right. James said in James chapter 5 and verse 16, Confess your faults one to another. 
David, in addition, should have confessed to the nation of Israel as he was their king. He was the monarch of God's covenant people. Now, am I saying that any of this would have been easy? No. It would have not been easy. What would have been easy to never have happened. But once again, we're all prone to sin. When we fall into sin, we can't go back and undo it many times. There may be some reparations we can make, but we can't undo what we've done. But this is the time to come and confess. Confess to the Lord. Confess to those that we've sinned against. But instead of confession and instead of repentance... David compounded his sin by committing more transgressions. Not only had he committed adultery with Uriah's wife, now he gets the man drunk. He causes him to sin. Trying to cover up our sin by committing another is foolish. And all it does is it causes us to sink deeper and deeper into our own flesh. Confession and repentance is the only answers once we've fallen into sin. Let's pick up in, in our text again and read from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Where it says, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote it in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it come to pass, came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew that valiant men were. Excuse me. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubbesheth, did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh? The wall. Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came unto us under the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and curse thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
David had failed in both attempts to get Uriah to go home so he could be blamed for the birth of this child or conception of him. So David fell even further into his deceit. He fell into cold-blooded murder. As Uriah prepared to return to front, David gave him a letter and ordered him to deliver it to Joab. A letter that David thought would cure all the problems. This will end all of it, and we can be done with the matter. In the letter, David ordered Joab to send Uriah into the hottest part of the battle and to retire from him, to leave him there, to abandon him. How quickly did a man that was said to be after God's own heart become so ruthless, so cold, He was so cold that he used Uriah to carry his own death warrant and give it to Joab. That's heartless. I've thought about this so many times. Joab carried the plan out as David ordered. How Uriah must have felt if he realized what was going on. This man has fought for David and for Israel and for God so often, so valiantly. And he looks around and he's being left. Don't you know things ran through his mind? What? What in the world? This had, this had to be as devastating emotionally as the actual swords and axes or whatever spears that hit him. Your eye was dead. And David had gone from being an adulterer to a murderer, just like that. You know, I thought, too, about Joab. Was Joab innocent in carrying this out? No. This whole, I was just following orders, doesn't cut it. He was part of this murder. I wonder sometimes, you know, Joab spent a good bit of time in David's doghouse. Even though he was his nephew, Joab was... I've often referred to him, some of you may be too young to this reference to mean anything to I've often called him a, a Hebrew J.R.U. He'd do anything to get the job done, get what he wanted. And Joab had been guilty of murder, of deceit, of trickery, and he got in David's doghouse. Actually, I can't remember if this was one of those times or not, but he had been before, and when Joab agreed to do this, I can't imagine that he didn't think, I'll stow this one away. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll kill and murder your eye for him. And the next time that he wants to jump down my throat, I'll remind him of this. Joab, after the deed's done, your eye's dead. He sends a courier with a report of the battle back to David. But before he sends that courier, he tells him, he says, look, if David gets upset because of the soldiers that, that died during this siege of this city, Rabba, he wants to condemn me for the carelessness of, of storming the walls with so much danger from above. 
drop this little nugget on him of information on him. Joab, when we read this, you can't help but think that he had had probably been called on the carpet by David before because of uh, being reckless, putting the men at an unnecessary risk. Knowing the nature of Joab, this sounds just like something he would do, win at all costs. David had probably, by the, the reference to, to uh, Abimelech here, had probably used this before to scold Joab. And if you remember back in the book of Genesis, Abimelech, who wanted to be the first king of Israel, naturally things didn't work out. But when uh, during the siege of a city, you know, when you got these high walls up above, a lot of things can happen when you get real close. That was the reason they invented these bulwarks and things uh, for siege warfare, so they could get closer. It was a, a fort, a, a, a shelter over them, so they could get close to the walls to beat the walls down or the doors open, and people couldn't pour hot oil or drop rocks or shoot arrows down or whatever from above. And uh, if if you got too close without these, you was pretty much at the mercy of those overhead. And Abimelech... A woman, a woman, not a mighty warrior, it wasn't Goliath, this was a woman, took a millstone and dropped it on his head and killed him. And David was probably like we get when we become middle-aged men, old men, we repeat ourselves and we tell the same story over and over to prove a point. And David probably every time Joab would get a bunch of soldiers killed, he'd tell him, yeah, because you got too close to the wall. Do you remember what happened to Abimelech? And Joab's probably thinking, no, you hadn't reminded me in the last 15 minutes, but please enlighten me. So Joab's waiting for this story to be told. And he tells that courier, when he starts this, you tell him, oh, by the way, your eye died too. And Joab knew that would be the end of it. Because this was what David had planned. So, the courier did as Joab commanded him. And he tells him, a lot of men died, King, taking that city. And Uriah was one of them. David's response from our text is, Let not this thing displease thee. This is what he sends back to Joab. Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it. He tells him these men, many men have died. Uriah, one of your best, one of your most faithful, has died with him. And this is the message that he sends back to Joab. Tell him not to be too upset about it. War doesn't discriminate. The valiant die just as well as the coward. Just do your best and continue on and make sure you overthrow the city. This man that had formerly being so passionate about protecting the lives of his men that he would constantly stay on Joab about it, reminding him of Abimelech. Be careful, don't get all these men killed unnecessarily. It's not necessary that all of them die. Be careful. The lives of these men are important. And I'm telling you now, I don't want you coming back telling me that you got a bunch of them killed by taking risks. He went from this to, ah, stuff happens in war. Don't worry about it. 
the death of one of his most faithful soldiers, who, by the way, that, that he was the cause of, he had no remorse for. Or at least he didn't show any. Against the word Uriah's dead, he, he moved Bathsheba, the mourning widow, into the palace, and he makes her his wife, and she bears a son. But what David didn't count on was what we find in our text here. It says, what David had done displeased the Lord. He hadn't got away with anything. David was known to be the tender-hearted shepherd king, but he had quickly become a cold, callous, callous, selfish wretch. And this is what happens when we allow sin to go in checked in our lives. We, we follow the path of those that Paul spoke of in First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Every sin that we commit makes the next one that much easier to commit. And for a penny and for a pound. I used to work with an old man one time back when I was a young fella, and he had a son that was a homosexual. And he used to say that he believed what turned his son that way was that he was into pornography, heterosexual pornography when he was younger. And I used to think, you know, no man's crazy. I mean, what, what's one's got to do with the other? But as I got older, and especially after the Lord saved me and I started to understand what sin does to us, he was right. I once read somewhere that Hugh Hefner, in an interview with, or may have saw it on, I think I saw it on 60 Minutes years ago. And he was asked if he'd ever delved into homosexuality. And he said, yeah. That was the logical next step. This man lived a life of the porn king. He had done everything, every deviant thing that could be done. So to satisfy and to stimulate his lust, he took the logical next step. And he delved into homosexuality. One sin makes it easier to go into the next one. We become more callous. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9, a little, little leaven, leaveneth the whole lot. We learn from this, we learn a lot of things from this account here of David and Bathsheba. And one is it sends a cruel taskmaster. And it's a, he's a subtle opponent. It can begin with a simple, little, unintimidating form. And it can grow into a terrible, horrible monster before we realize what's happened. David just wanted a little easier time. He just wanted to lay around and be lazy a little bit. Who among us hadn't done that? I just wanted to stare at this woman for a minute. This doesn't sound pretty harmless, isn't it? Well, we found out that sin will take you, and I certainly didn't coin this phrase, but it will take you further than you ever intended to go. You've probably heard countless preachers say that. And sin will carry you there faster than you ever realized you could get there. Sin doesn't care what the consequences are. They don't care. He doesn't care about how much it hurts anyone. It hurts you or anybody involved. Look what it's cost David. 
Not only what we've already discussed, but it cost the life of his infant son. It caused down the road for his daughter to be violated by one of his sons. Can you imagine having that to happen? That son to be murdered by one of his other sons, and then that son becoming a rebel and him having to flee to keep from being murdered by that son, who eventually gets killed by Joab. Not to mention, when we read the book of Psalms and we see what anguish David was in during this period, how this sin was eating him alive, and he speaks uh, 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 things that are actually types of what Jesus went through on the cross, that they're, they're similar. Although I know nobody will ever experience what our Lord did on the cross, but David as a type of Christ speaks in the same types of words, how his life just left his bones. His... He dried up. Sin does not care. Sin simply wants to be fed. And when it receives the nourishment that it requires, through our indifference to it, it strengthens. And it strengthens rapidly. It begins to grow. Once again, David started out by just being idle, laying around when he should have been leading his troops into battle. And this led to lust, it led to adultery, which led to deceit, which led to getting your eye drunk, which led to murder. This is where sin will care if we allow it. The best defense against sin is to avoid it like the plague, because it's like a rattlesnake. It'll turn and bite us in a more quicker than we can imagine. When we do encounter it, and we're going to, we should deal with it. And I need to learn this one more. I, I need this more than any of you probably this morning. How did Jesus say to deal with it? He said, you deal with it like you would an offensive limb or organ. You pluck it out. You chop it off. You deal with it severely. If we do get caught up in something like this, we can't ignore it. This is what got David in trouble. We can't compound it with other sins. But we should confess to the Lord. We should confess to those uh, the others that are offended and repent of it. And see, this is the thing about it. Many don't seem to understand is repent doesn't just mean to feel bad about it. It means to stop doing it. We need to make sure when we ask the Lord for forgiveness and when we ask those that we've, we've sinned against to forgive us, that we don't continue to do it. How many times have you heard that? Well, I've made my peace with the Lord. I've asked for forgiveness, but you're still doing it. What good is that? There is no repentance. There's no change. Most of all, if we find ourselves in a similar situation, as I said, probably would never be this severe. But we should always pray for the Holy Spirit to deliver us. Because we can't do it on our own. I could not tell you how many times that I've had this or that or the other that I had sin to deal with 
that tried and tried and tried to no avail to end it. And then I realized, you can't do it. You can't do it. Your flesh won't allow it. But the Holy Spirit within you can and will depend upon Him. Pray to Him. Once again, I think it's a good idea to review this what this account of what happened with David Bathsheba to realize that how quickly our sin can transform us. And that we're not going to get away with it. It's going to find us out. And it'll carry us further than we could ever imagine. Aren't you thankful here this morning that we have a Lord that gave himself for sinners like us? This is David. This isn't Ahab here. This isn't Simon Magus. This is David. I doubt that we're any better in heart. I know we're not. We're all the seed of Adam. Thank the Lord that he saves sinners like us and that he provides a way for us to be delivered from sins even as great as what David committed here. Thank you for the opportunity of being here this morning. And uh, Brother Reggie, were you in this in prayer or do you want to come forward and offer an invitation? Or?